How many times have I said fun, Kate? <laughs> a lot of times, but that's good. I like fun. <laughs> hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 174. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, I have some exciting news. We have been working behind the scenes on a number of projects to bring you more bookish delight. The first is a new Patreon community. Some of you have mentioned before that you were surprised that we weren't on Patreon, and I know we've wanted to, but really we wanted to create a great experience for listeners to interact with the show and with each other. Now we think we're there. Not only do you get to chat about life, reading, and the latest episodes with us and with your fellow listeners, but you also get a peek behind the scenes with exclusive content that's been cut from episodes, opportunities to participate in the creative process, and quarterly live streams with What Should I Read Next producer Brenna and me. And there is more in the works. The next project isn't coming for another couple of weeks, but there's more than a hint on the Patreon page. So go check out patreon.com slash what should I read next to learn about what else is coming soon, to join in the conversation, and to get a peek at that super secret show spreadsheet. Thank you so much for all of the ways you support the show. We appreciate it from the bottoms of our bookish hearts. That's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash what should I read next. Readers, I don't think I can introduce today's guest, Kate Daly, any better than she introduced herself in the guest submission form that totally hooked me. She wrote, I'm a 28-year-old house painter in New South Wales, Australia, living full-time for the last two and a half years in a Toyota camper van. I lost the joy of reading after a decade-long reading rut and nearly gave up on ever picking up a book again. Two years of audiobooks and your podcast whispering in my ear while I painted houses, and now I'm chewing my way through six to eight books a month. I knew I had to talk to Kate about how book life and van life collide, so we braved the 15-hour time difference and made it happen. Today, we're chatting about the genre that threw her into that intense reading rut, the competitive side of reading in her family, and just where she stows her personal library in her little living quarters. Let's get to it. Kate, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. I have to tell you that all of us at What Should I Read Next headquarters were so smitten with your submission. Do you even remember what you wrote in? Vaguely, but it was a while ago. So <laughs> you might have to remind me. <laughs> you said something about having extricated yourself from a reading rut that went yes. all the way to China. I think it might have gone further than China, <laughs> probably to another planet. <laughs> What happened? How did you get in such a sad readerly state? I'm going to put my hand up and say that I was hugely romantic when I was a teenager. I probably still am. And I got into the romance genre and I just buried myself in it. And I didn't read anything else. When I got to sort of in the middle of my 20s, I, I remember thinking, I don't enjoy reading anymore. I pick up books because it's a habit, not because I'm actually you know, want to escape or it's just because I'm bored maybe or I just, and, and then I put the book down and I completely forget it. And I was like, oh man, this is bad. Maybe I'm one of those adults that grow out of reading. <laughs> but I did know that I loved being read to because my mom used to heavily read to us when we were kids. And mm-hmm. so I signed up for Audible and that was the first stage of getting out of it. And also 
it made me look at the books I was reading because I was used to be a real cheapskate <laughs> as far as what I spent on books before. And to spend like $15 on a book, it was like I had a couple of duds and I was like, oh, that was a waste of money. Yeah, you got yourself into a high stakes situation. And I used to like obsessively read the reviews and try and get really a better idea of whether I'd enjoy it. And so that kind of kickstarted me getting into books that I wouldn't have read before, which was good. (laughs) Well, that's what you told us in your submission that you were a house painter and you just, I think you said you chowed through audiobooks while you were working. So we were a little bit jealous, but also we just loved that mental image of you just listening to audiobooks and painting houses in Australia. And you also talked about how important your 11-year-old brother was to your reading life. Yeah, well, that's that's happened recently. Last year, he got into a little bit of trouble because he kind of was sneaking a bit of computer time. I kind of went to my parents and I said, look, you know, we kind of live out of town and he doesn't really have anything to do. So let's see if we can find him something else to do. And he's 12. There's um, like a 16 age gap between us. So he's like a really little brother to me. And um, (laughs) so my mom said, oh, well, he's enjoyed books in the past. I thought, okay, that's great. I'll see if I can get him into a reading thing and started off as a competition because in my family, like the love language is teasing and competition. (laughs) I kind of was like, I've been reading so many books lately and I bet you can't read more than I can. And he was like, yes, I can. It's sort of petered out at the moment because he's got a P like a PlayStation. So he's like really into that. You know, I feel pretty proud that he read a lot of books and he also really nailed me as far as the amount of books. (laughs) Well, I would like to award you all the sister points for your good work there with the books. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. And we had some funny chats. Like at, at first he was really shy about talking about books, but I kind of just like joked him out of that phase and like, do you like this book? Do you like this book? I think he was quite, um, he felt like he might've, had to read it because I was trying to push it on him. But Mm -hmm. I I made sure I was really open about it. Like if he said he didn't like a book, I was like, fine, that's great. Let's find something else. So we kind of got a really good um, system going where he didn't feel pressured or, you know, up, you know, like he was doing something bad by not reading a book I recommended. I'm glad to hear it. I was just in a bookstore that was recommending books to me for one of my kids. They were like, if you don't like it, just tell us it's fine. Don't feel bad about it. We'll do better choosing next time. Live and learn. It's just data. That's right. And I think sometimes when you're recommending books, like you'll think someone will really like something and then they totally like, no, I didn't like that. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) That was, I didn't think that would happen, but you just got to accept it and uh, give people their space for their reading. Well, you know that in every episode, we ask our listeners to leave recommendations for you, Kate, the guest in our show notes on what should I read next podcast.com listeners. Leave book recommendations for Kate's brother as well. Yes, please, please, please. Save her some of the hard work. I mean, you're still going to have to do hard work. You're going to be looking them up and looking at reviews, but at least you'll have a starting point. That would be awesome. Kate, we were also charmed by the image of your van stocked with books. Although you said that it was actually a struggle. It's not a struggle now, but I am... I've kind of gone through a few transitions. I moved into the van like three years ago. I've gone through sort of like the minimalism, which you have to do in a van. 
So I'm constantly reassessing, you know, is everything in my van of use? If it's not, why is it there? Because I just don't have the space. Mm -hmm. I've gone through a phase where I'm, you know, really conscious of my waste, my plastic intake. And then that sort of spilled into being more conscious about where I spend my money. You know, I've been thinking about, you know, when you buy something for $5, you know, how much does the person get who made that $5 product? So I'm really conscious about that. And um, I'm now doing a lot of research into, you know, ethical practices, fair trade, that sort of thing to try and support those companies and try and get that movement happening. And for my reading life, buying a lot less, I would say now no Kindle books. Now I'm supporting my local bookshop. I use the library heavily, but if I can't find a book there, I go to the bookshop and I order it instead of, you know, maybe ordering it from Amazon or something like that. I'm trying to support a local business as well. So that's been really good. So many readers believe that reading makes the world a better place and you're just trying to be consistent top to bottom. Yes, I am. Can you get audiobooks from your library as well? I can and I did used to try to, but they're usually on a CD and I, my computer doesn't have a CD. Mm-hmm. I felt like I could never get through them quick enough. They do have an app though and I've listened to some books through that, but there is a limited selection. I understand. And sometimes the heart wants to read what the heart wants to read. Yes. And sometimes that's not in the library. (laughs) Kate, how do you decide now what you're going to read? Ah, that's a good question. I have sort of a a small TBR that I kind of go through. I don't know when I feel like it. This is the first year that I've done sort of like a reading challenge downloaded your reading challenge and I've been writing books down there. And I'm also trying to read books that I've bought because I do remember you had an episode on reading what you've already bought. (laughs) (laughs) And I have fallen into that trap. So this year I'm trying to read pretty much everything I've bought recently and get through that. So that's what I'm choosing at the moment. Now, since you're tight on space in your personal home slash van library, how do you decide what to keep? I'm really careful what I buy, I guess. If I love a book, I'm probably going to keep it. If Mm -hmm. If it didn't thrill me, I'll probably just donate it. I've got a series at the moment which had beautiful covers and I just fell in love with them. They're probably not the most riveting reads. So I'm thinking once I get through them, they'll probably get donated. So it's more about like if a book sung to me, then it'll be a keeper. And then I'll have to find room for it. <laughs> so that'll be, uh, that'll be the fun part. How much of an issue is space truly for you at this point in your life? It's really important. And not just because I don't have the space to fill, but also when you live in a really small area, and, and I'm, I'm saying my van, I think I roughly measured it. And it's like three meters by one and a half. And maybe that's stretching it. So there is not a lot of room in there. And also... Like if I had a lot of stuff in there, I can't sleep at night. So everything would be on my bed. Yeah, I wouldn't have a place to sleep. So space is really important. But also for my headspace, I'm really focusing this year on trying to declutter that. And for me, mostly that is, you know, what I fill my head with, um, how much social media I'm on, how much internet, all that sort of thing. So I'm really conscious about that. And I think that that's come about because I live in a van. That's a high stakes situation then, not being able to sleep if you're surrounded by too much stuff. Yes, definitely. And also, I live in a van with a cat and a dog. So there's also additional space that's required for them as well. It's challenging, but it's a lot of fun. Well, Kate, I can't wait to hear more about 
what you like to read, especially because I'm really not sure what direction we're going to go with choosing books for you. Are you ready to get to it? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, you know how this works. You are going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you're reading now, and we will talk about what you may enjoy reading next. Let's jump in. Tell me about the first book you love. So the first book um, is a recent read, and it's sort of a bit out of my comfort zone because it's nonfiction, and that's not something I've read much of. I think I still have my 10-year-old perception that nonfiction is really boring, <laughs> and I'm trying, I'm trying to get out of that. <laughs> So uh, this book was put in my hands because a friend recommended it and she had a copy and she said, this is a beautiful book. It's really easy to read. I think you're going to love it. So it's it's called A Street Cat Named Bob and it's by James Bowen. And it's about his life over a two-year period where he was homeless and he was a busker in London. And he was also a recovering drug addict. So a lot going on in his life. At the time of the book, he was living in accommodation for homeless people. So he wasn't on the street, but he had been on the street. And he found this ginger cat that seemed to be homeless and it was quite ill. So he took it in, looked after it for a couple of weeks. was going to, you know, release it back into the wild, but it pretty much became his constant companion. It was just such a beautiful book just for the story, but also the lessons that you got in terms of, you know, what it's like to be homeless, what it's like to be a busker trying to earn a wage and how people in that situation can be treated sort of like subhumans. So that really opened my eyes, and I really, really enjoyed that one. So not boring, nonfiction. Is it fair to say that that's a heartwarming, feel-good kind of story? I mean, this sounds like a great story. It was beautiful. A lot of humanity in it, and it makes you think more about how you treat people. So I really enjoyed that. Kate, tell me about the second book you love. So this is part of a trilogy. It's called Red Rising by Pierce Brown, and... This boy is mining under the surface of Mars with his family and community, and he's been told that they're preparing Mars for you know the rest of civilization to follow on. And he finds out that this is a complete and utter lie, and his people are pretty much slaves, and Mars has been inhabited for hundreds of years. And so he goes on this, I don't really like the word epic, but it is pretty much this epic journey where he's <laughs> trying to get a better life for his people and people like him and... The world building is just mind-blowing. Like, I just lapped that up. I loved that. And also, there's some really high stakes in this book. Really liked that. And when you get to a, when you get to the end of the book and you're, like, flipping through the pages really fast, and you're like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. Ah! <laughs> Something I've really noticed about this series is that it appeals to teens and adults and men and women, readers who love fantasy and readers who are like, oh, I never read fantasy, except for the Red Rising series. Yeah, it's sort of like a really smart fantasy science fiction, I think. It's so complex. Kate, tell me about your last favorite. So the last favorite is, um, I guess you'd classify it as YA, and this book pretty much restored my faith in YA fiction. So that was amazing. Um, I think when I was a teenager, I completely missed like the whole teenage fiction because I just hated the angst and the emotional repetition of it all in a lot of books. And, you know, I was like a teenager and I was really emotional and angsty and whatever, but I didn't want to read about it. So I feel like I just skipped straight into adult fiction. But this book I picked up, I think, last year. It's called Second Born by Amy A. Bartel. It's fantasy. It's about a society where 
you can only have two kids. The firstborn is pretty much, you know, the cream of the crop. They get everything in society. And the secondborn, they're property of the government. And so they're forced into servitude. The characters are so alive in this book. It kind of reads for me like an action-packed movie. So that was awesome. So there was always something happening. There was no boring bits. Cliffhangers in this one as well. So the third book's coming out. No boring bits. Yeah, I guess so. If, if it slows down and, and it's not really going anywhere, I do find that I lose interest. Yeah, I'm just making notes. <laughs> Kate, what inspired you to pick up this series? I cannot remember, but I think I saw it on the Kindle store on my phone and uh-huh. I just thought, okay, I, I think I read the preview and I thought, oh, okay, this might be good. And I don't know whether I knew it was you know, YA particularly. I'm more open to reading different books these days. So I don't want to be closed-minded. I am trying to explore. <laughs> we are going to unpack that a little bit more in a moment. Kate, what was the book that wasn't for you? <sighs> so this book is called The Last Girl by Drew Hart. The main character is Zoe. She grows up in this ARC facility where she's not allowed outside and she's been told that it's too dangerous and that when she turns, I think it's like 20 or 18 or something, that she's going to be reunited with her family. And she finds out that this is a lie. She escapes the Institute and she goes into this desolate world, which is mainly populated by men now. And it's just chaotic and everyone's quite violent and scary and that. And the whole journey is her trying to, you know, find a life for herself. But the thing I hated about it was the author had this technique where he would dangle the carrot of hope in front of your eyes and in front of Zoe's eyes. And then he would like jiggle it and then make you walk a few steps and you'd walk a few steps and then a few steps turned into like pages and pages. And then you finally got to the carrot and then you're about to have a little bit of hope and then he would yank it out of your reach. And that was like the three books. Well, that doesn't sound like fun. It wasn't fun. The, the other thing I hate about it was I got to the end of the series and the ending was actually really good. But it was a short, good ending. And I got to the end and I'm like, really? I had to read three books to get to this like short little ending that was good, I admit. But, oh, man. I am glad yeah. to hear that, though. Yeah, I know. But I had to take like multiple hundred breaks from this book because... I did it on audio and I would get into it for a couple of hours. I'm like, what was I talking about? This is fine. And then slowly, like the depression of this world cloaked me. It was like, oh, I need to go smell some flowers. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it took me a while to get through this series. But I I do have the fault of finding it hard to leave a trilogy or a series because Mm -hmm. I feel like it's persevered and got to the end. I'm like, now I can rant rave about it. Kate, what are you reading right now? Right now, I'm reading um, Under a Thousand Skies by Claudia Gray. This is YA. It's a little bit repetitive. And yeah, I bought the whole series, so I'm probably still going to read it. <laughs> uh, I'll just chow my way through it and then donate it, <laughs> probably. I'm doing The Count of Monte Cristo on an audiobook, as an audiobook, and I'm loving that. It's so good. And the last one I'm doing is a manga series called Skip Beat. And this is where my problem is going to be because it has 42 volumes. (laughs) So you're going to walk into my van in a couple of years. It's just going to be crowded (laughs) with manga books (laughs) and other books. I'll take a photo and send it to you. I've heard good things about Skip Beat. I'm so curious, but I haven't read any of them. Oh, it's so good. It's it's really lighthearted and comedic and funny. And I end up giggling and laughing 
you know, and I just love manga because you kind of get the story, you get the dialogue, everything that's a story, but you also get this visual and you get the visual of the expressions and what happens and it just adds this dimension to it. So manga is a recent thing for me. My sister dragged me into it. What number are you on? So there's 42 volumes, but you can buy them in like three volumes per book. So I've got like four books now of this series, whatever that works out to be. So it's not going to be 42 actual books, but if it's ongoing, it might end up being 42 books. (laughs) That's going to look good in my bed. (laughs) It's going to look really good. Now, Kate, when it comes to your reading life, you've said that you have twin goals that contribute to each other. You want to never again dig a reading rat to China, and you want to do that by deliberately reading books that challenge your comfort zone. Yes, I do. (laughs) What what is your comfort zone and what do you want to be reading? My comfort zone is uh, fantasy and sci-fi. I'm very happy in that fantasy role. I've been reading a bit of literature fiction over the last year, and I do find it has to be really interesting. Otherwise, I just feel like it's a bit of a waste of time. So I am trying to get into that. But on the other hand, you know, imagination is really important for me. So to go into sci-fi and and fantasy is like, ah, this is my place. This is my happy zone because anything can happen. Whereas sort of with nonfiction and literary fiction, I feel like there's a bit of a structure that you can't break. And maybe that's just my thinking. I am willing to step out of my comfort zone and I do want to. So this year I want to read more nonfiction and I also want to get into some poetry and I have no idea where to start with that. That's interesting. Well, what appeals to you about poetry? Do you want to be the kind of person who reads poetry? I think I do because, you know, I've been reading the Gamash series and, you know, there's a bit of poetry in that. I find that fascinating when I read that, the way she inserts, you know, a bit of poetry into the story and it sort of adds a lot of color and emotion to it. And I just thought, you know, there's probably really good poetry out there. And I'm, if I, if I'm a poetry snob, then I'm never going to benefit from reading that. So you don't have to go that way if you don't want to. Well, this is going to be general because I'm leery of recommending one specific book of poetry to a reader whose comfort zone is fantasy and sci-fi when there's so much to choose from. But I do know a good place to start, and that would be thinking about it from a time element and not a specific book element. If you took five minutes a day or five minutes on weekdays or five minutes on weekend days and said, I'm just going to sit down and read five minutes of poetry, it could be more than that if you wanted to. This is just an example of what you could do. But just to choose a time and a place, or it could be like with my morning coffee or my first cup of tea, or before I go to bed at night, I'm going to spend however many minutes reading poetry. And then you mentioned that you'd like to go to your local bookshop the next town over. Yes. There are so many beautiful collector's editions of poetry that are designed to be very user-friendly, easy to handle, but also to look really good on your bookshelf. And you confessed that you bought that YA series that you weren't particularly enjoying because you love the way the covers looked. So... I know that you like to buy books based on their covers. Um, personally, I love, love, love the Everyman Library's Pocket Poets. They're small. They can almost fit. Actually, they're about the size of the palm of my hand. They have beautiful spines. Actually, there's an edition of this series that is the poetry and some lyrics of Leonard Cohen, who uh, Louise Penny takes 
one of her book titles from, How the Light Gets In. So if you wanted a Penny connection, I know that's there. But there are other specific and real poets she mentions in the book. So if you notice that in the book, that could be a good place to pivot off from. But you could just go into the bookstore, pick something beautiful. Those pocket poets in the United States relative to other books aren't terribly expensive because they're small. But pick something pretty. You can choose an individual author collection or a themed collection. You can get something old. You can get something very contemporary. But five minutes a day, ease your way in. And from there, you will have, you can pivot out from there. But you got to jump in somewhere. I'd start with the time and something that looks pretty. You can do it. Thank you. (laughs) Fantasy and sci-fi. If that's your comfort zone, where do you see yourself going? So nonfiction, you're reading The Count of Monte Cristo right now and it's working for you. Character development's really important to me. If the characters are alive, then I can really get into a story. And that's why I'm reading The Count of Monte Cristo. It's so alive with character development. But also I like having to think about something. Like after you put a book down, I enjoy that, which is why I enjoy you know, A Street Cat Named Bob. Also, please do not tell me if it has a sad ending. That's really hard for me (laughs) to pick up a book when someone says, it's a great book, but it has a sad ending. I'm like, why would I put myself through that? I'm happy with sad endings if they work, but I don't like knowing that they're going to be a sad ending. All right, Kate, we can work with this. You loved the nonfiction book, A Street Cat Named Bob, the Red Rising series by Pierce Brown, and Second Born by Amy Bartell. The Dominion series was not for you. More action, no boring bits, less darkness. Okay, and you want to branch out from your fantasy and sci-fi comfort zone. I think we're safe to talk about a woman who sells all her stuff and moves into a van and goes around the country selling books to people. Ooh, (laughs) I do watch a lot of like van dwelling. (laughs) Oh my gosh, there are so many amazing coffee table books right now with beautiful full color photos showing people's remodeled residences on wheels. Have you seen these? Are they just populating my coffee tables and bookstore shelves over in the United States? A lot of videos like that online. My van would not be in this category. (laughs) (laughs) If there's one unifying theme, they look very expensive and very time consuming to create and maintain. And a lot of people get into the van life because they're poor. (laughs) When you see the glamorous vans, That's people who have money and don't need to live in a van. Oh, the irony. Yes. All right. Well, this book does not come with full color photographs. You have to draw the mental pictures for yourself, but I think you can do it. Okay. So the book I'm thinking about for you has a strong romance element, but I would not call it a romance novel. It's The Bookshop on the Corner, which is also known as The Little Shop of Happy Ever After, which I really think is the better title, honestly, more appropriate. It's by Jenny Colgan. It's set in Scotland. Do you know anything about this? No, I don't. When I first read the publisher's description on this, I thought, I need this book in my life immediately. It begins with the line, Nina is a literary matchmaker. This woman is in her 20s. She's a librarian. She's never wanted to do anything else. But then her library loses funding because they divert all the money that previously paid people like her to the fancy new computer system. And she loses her job and she doesn't know what to do with her life until she stumbles upon a listing for an old van and decides she is going to turn it into a library on wheels. So that's how she encounters the Scottish Highlands and 
meet this town full of gently quirky characters, including two young children who desperately need, well, one, books, and two, adult influences in their life. And she brings books to a community that did not have them. But because she is in a small town in Scotland, she also ends up stepping out of her comfort zone in multiple ways, um, meeting new people and finding new work and having to talk to strangers, but she's talking to them about books. So she does have that connection with them, but she also ends up doing things like, um, learning how to folk dance. And there's one episode where she delivers a lamb in the middle of the night in a field. (laughs) So that is the bookshop on the corner. I don't believe you will find there to be boring bits. And I really like the van plus books plus travel plus little sibling stand-ins, I think you'll find a lot of parallels that will keep this fun and interesting for you. Does this sound like something you might enjoy reading about? Yeah, it does. Is this, so is this nonfiction or fiction? Fiction. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I really like the, the out of the comfort zone because I'm always trying to gently push my comfort zone as well. I'm looking forward to this book. Would it be obnoxious if the girl in the United States recommended a book about Australia to you? No, actually, because I've never read much Australian fiction. I have this weird aversion to it. I don't know why. It's not because I think that Australian writers can't write, but I just it just never occurs to me to really read about my own country. So that could be a good book. That's so interesting. Some of my favorite authors are Australian, like Leon Moriarty and Richard Flanagan. But it's actually a memoir I had in mind, since you are interested in reading more nonfiction. This is by an author named Robin Davidson. It's called Tracks. Does this sound familiar to you? I've never heard of it. Music to my ears. (laughs) The subtitle is A Woman's Solo Trek Across 1,700 Miles of Australian Outback. This has been around a little while now. It was first published in 1980, so it's almost 40 years old. It's been compared to Wild by Cheryl Strayed. I don't know if that's a book you're familiar with, but it's along the same kind of, oh, I don't want to say epic, Kate. We'll call this a grand (laughs) adventure, but she does travel 1,700 miles through the desert with four camels and her dog, and that is it. That's all she has with her. She didn't have any training or experience. She hadn't done anything remotely like this before, and I think this is the kind of real-life adventure story um, that I hope you will feel like springs from the page and feels very alive and vivid and I'm hopeful the connection between something you're familiar with, but probably also not at all familiar with, will be really engaging for you as a reader. Yeah, and you've put animals in there, which is going to be a bit of a winner. That was not a coincidence. (laughs) No, that sounds really good. For your third book, I'm thinking about gently pivoting out of your comfort zone by reading a book that has a hefty amount of fantasy to it, but it's also grounded in a classic. I believe it would be shelved young adult at the bookstore. The book I have in mind is My Plain Jane, and it's written by three authors, and that is actually really interesting. We'll get to that in a second. It's by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows. Many people think inadvertently that this is part of a series because of the title. These authors wrote a first book together called My Lady Jane. While they are related and that they're by the same people and they're both about historical characters named Jane, this completely stands on its own. Is this a book you're familiar with? Not at all. What this does is it puts an inventive, imaginative, fantasy kind of spin 
on a classic novel. So the first book that these women wrote together was My Lady Jane. That was a a, uh, comic slash fantasy slash retelling of the true story of Lady Jane Grey. In My Plain Jane, it is another comic fantasy retelling, but this time their subject matter is Jane Eyre, except they have a very unique way of looking at the story and they add in ghosts. This completely reads like a period novel, except that there are tons of witty, tongue-in-cheek, wry asides about the unfolding action. And it does move along really briskly. It has a nice pace. I don't think you'll find this to have boring bits. And something else I like about this for you is you don't have to have read Jane Eyre to get this or enjoy it. You're reading The Count of Monte Cristo now. I think it'd be really fun to read My Plain Jane, which is just lighthearted and funny and fun, and then go back and read Jane Eyre. The contrast would be really interesting, and you'll have enough familiarity with the story to maybe have a little more patience for a book outside your comfort zone than you would have if you were to start that like tonight. If you do read Jane Eyre, Prior to this, you'll get some more of the inside jokes, but you're not going to miss any important thing about the story if you don't have familiarity with Jane Eyre or Charlotte Bronte. There are also lots of Ghostbusters jokes, like from the movie. So if you've seen that, you'll get a few more things. But if you don't, it's not going to bother you. Something that's really interesting about this story is that it is written by three co-authors, and that's something that hardly ever happens. And I've really enjoyed reading interviews about how these women write their stories together. They say that they each write a separate character's point of view. They sit down around the same table in the same room, and they write simultaneously, and then they take turns passing everything around, and they take turns editing piece by piece. Then they read their chapters out loud and they say, hopefully they're fun and funny and make them want to keep reading. And then they do the same. They read a chapter, they edit a chapter, they read a chapter, they tweak a chapter. Books are not put together like that. And as a reader, it can be really fun to read this going, can I tell who wrote what? How does it sound so unified? This is crazy. And their acknowledgments are actually really funny because in My Lady Jane, they talk about the time they called up their agents and said, hey, three of us want to write a book together and thank everybody who didn't laugh them off and say, no, that's insane. <laughs> How does that sound to you? Yeah, that's really good because I have Jane Eyre on my to-be-read list. Oh, do you really? I was a bit daunted by reading that. So this might be a really good way to ease into it. I hope so. You can totally read and appreciate Jane Eyre without doing that. But I think based on what you enjoy, the connection could be really fun. How many times have I said fun, Kate? <laughs> a lot of times, but that's good. I like fun. <laughs> <laughs> Kate, the books we talked about today were The Little Shop of Happy Ever After, or The Bookshop on the Corner to U.S. readers, The Memoir Tracks by Robin Davidson, and My Plain Jane by Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows. Of those three books, what do you think you'll pick up next? Oh, it's going to be hard because I'm trying to get through the three books at the moment. And if I get through them, it'll be like, what do I feel like now? I know. And we need you to keep going on those because otherwise it'll take you two years like it did with that other series. Yeah. (laughs) I'll probably go for fiction picks and maybe the first one. Nina and her van. Just because fiction is my my go-to. I'm happy to hear it. And I can't wait to hear what you think. Thank you so much for talking books with me today. It's been a lot of fun. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Kate today, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read and listen to next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 174, that's 174, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. 
You can follow Kate's reading life on Instagram at when underscore Kate underscore reads. Next week, I'm so excited to be talking to reader Michelle Wilson again about the unfilled need she sees in the book world, that is older characters. Michelle and I got to talk about this in person in Denver last year, and I'm so excited that you all get to listen into our conversation this time. Here's a peek. You know, when you're looking at the New York Times bestseller list or those kind of books, the popular books that everybody reads, there's nobody like, especially women 50 and over, just being women. They're either like magical grandmothers who can fly <laughs> around or they're like some elderly curmudgeon man who like escapes from an assisted living facility and walks across the Antarctic. Hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically speaking, yes. It feels like a larger thing, like a society thing, like... I mean, I'm all for getting in at the movies for a reduced price, but it feels like society, once you're like over, I don't know, 55, nobody even really notices you anymore. So it makes sense that there's not a whole lot of books written about that part of people's lives. You know, I'm not going to have children, but I still work. I still live. I still have fun. And it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of books about men and women doing those kind of things that are my age. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. If you are on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings. If you are not on the list, you can fix that now by visiting whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter and sign up there for our free weekly delivery. If you enjoy this podcast and want to support it, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash whatshouldireadnext to learn more about how readers just like you are backing the show. We're really excited about the perks we have there for you. Patreon.com slash whatshouldireadnext. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. <laughs>